Jesus, you are good and you always do what's good. I pray that we would have the ability to perceive your goodness, that we, as the psalmist said, would see your goodness in the land of the living, not just in the sweet by and by, but today. And I pray that our hearts would be hearts of gratitude, knowing that every good and every perfect gift comes from you, that you are the source. I pray that you would speak through scripture and that we'd hear, and I pray this in your name, amen. So a bunch of years ago, 12, I started a men's Bible study through the book of Proverbs. And it was day one, and I was introducing the book of Proverbs. And I just said this to this men's group. I said, look to your left and look to your right. What do you see? And everybody said, a man. I said, right, this is a men's group. So what does it mean to be a man, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a man in a men's group? And I had a whole thing prepared, right? And I said, how do we know in America when you're a man? Is it you turn 18 and your dad gives you a suitcase and says, go? Is that when you're 18? Is it you turn 21 and you can buy alcohol? Is that 21? Like we don't have a moment that a lot of civilizations do. The Jewish culture has the bar mitzvah. On a certain day of their birthday, you are now not a child anymore, you're a man, and we have a bar mitzvah to celebrate that. Uh, the ancient Romans had what was called the toga viralis, which was uh, the dad would watch his son. And when he began to see his son acting in such a way that demonstrated his manhood, there'd be a day that he literally gave him new clothes, man's clothes, the toga. And so he'd be like, take off your kid's clothes, put this on, here's a belt, wear it. No one wants to see your underwear anymore. Wear your belt, you're a man now. And it was a definite moment in time. In Africa, I gotta talk a little bit with the Maasai, and the Maasai have a moment. Take this sharpened stick and kill a lion. And once you've done that, you're a man. <laughs> if that was our test, how many men would be in America? <laughs> no thanks. I'll stay a child, right? So there's these moments. So I had this whole thing prepared that I was gonna talk about and, and then relate it to Proverbs. But before I could say anything, after I said, what does it mean to be in a men's group? This guy in the back road just said, it means no nagging. I didn't laugh either. I was highly offended by that statement. It actually is in Proverbs and we might just touch on those things. But my point was this, Proverbs were part of the process that the Jews would use to get their children to think and act like adults. So it was a way of shaping them so they'd be read and they'd be memorized so that their thinking could become adult thinking. They could put away childish things and think like adults. I'm gonna repeat this probably a bunch of times during this season. What you put in your mind 
matters. It's shaping your perception of the world. So if you sit down for 16 hours and watch an entire season of some show on Netflix, that will affect your thinking. The politics of that show, the worldview of that show, what seems to be cool on that show is going to sink into your head. Be careful. So lately at my house, at breakfast, this is what we've been doing. Started about a month ago. I will read one chapter of the book of Proverbs. And then I'll ask my kids, which one did you like? We'll kind of go around. And my hope is start being shaped by this wisdom literature, start being shaped. And I've been reading it as well in preparation for this. And what I've noticed is this. There's, you, could, you could list 100 different topics. We're not gonna do 100 weeks on this. But I think there are three spheres that Proverbs addresses and says you need wisdom in these three spheres of life if you're ever gonna live the good life. So a sphere one is relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your friends, your relationship with your community, right? So that's sphere one. Sphere two is warnings. Proverbs is full of these warnings about fools, about gossip, about slander, about the words that you choose, about slothfulness and laziness and not planning. There's all these warnings, sphere number two. And then the third sphere is your ambitions, your career, your work, your money, how to plan well, right? And those three spheres, they have a lot of overlap, right? So your relationships will overlap with your ambitions and your warnings will overlap with your relationships, who you're gonna be in relationship with, right? There's a lot of overlap. It's like three circles. And the center of it where all three of them overlap is what Proverbs would say, that's the good life. That if you can get right there, you're in the good life. So we're gonna do a series now, probably six, seven, eight weeks, I haven't decided quite yet, on the wisdom of Proverbs in those three spheres. So today, all I wanna do is look at how Proverbs introduces itself. Like, hey, this is the introduction. Doesn't get to the pithy little sayings yet. It's just, here's my introduction. Here's what I think is important. And if you understand chapter one, it gives you a leg up on understanding the rest of the book. So we're just gonna go through chapter one. So if you have a Bible, Proverbs 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. He's a wise guy. Son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So you could boil that down to three ingredients. There's number one, knowledge. Knowledge is the what. It's information. It's raw material. 
Number two, wisdom. Wisdom is what to do with the knowledge you got. And then number three, instruction. Like how to do what you want to do with the information you have. Those three are all linked together. You need all of them. So if I was to go build a wall, knowledge would be like the raw material. I gotta get some, whatever it is. If I'm building a stone wall, I gotta get the raw material. Masonry, bricks, mortar. That knowledge is just raw material. So you gotta have knowledge. You get that all together. But number two, Wisdom tells me where I should build that wall. Like, where's the wisest place to put this wall? That's what wisdom does. And then instruction, the third one is, you gotta know how to actually take the raw material, build it where you want in a way that's stable and right. You need all three. Some people don't have all three. They just have the first two. They have knowledge and they have wisdom, but they actually don't know what to do. The best example in the Bible, Solomon, wisest man in the world. But man, he did not do well at life. Just read the book of Ecclesiastes. He, because totally smart, lots of knowledge, lots of wisdom, but he actually didn't walk out instruction well. And because of that, he is a suicidal train wreck. Read chapter two of the book of Ecclesiastes, right? So you got knowledge, we need knowledge. And I have this saying, and I tell it to young men all the time, readers are leaders. Because you're getting the raw material. Step one, you're just getting raw material in. But here's the sad thing about America. In America, we watch 1,465 hours of screen TV, I wanna say a day now, but that'd be unrealistic, but I think it's actually gone way up with this coronavirus. But that statistic was a couple of years ago, that was a year. That works out to 30 hours a week. That's a part-time job, that's almost a full-time job. Ton of time, screen time. And the average American reads three books a year. So if readers are leaders, there's not a lot of competition. Start reading, get information, get it, bring it in, okay? So that's knowledge. Number two, wisdom is based on knowledge, right? You gotta have knowledge to have wisdom, but it's what to do with that. And here's the thing about wisdom, Bible wisdom. It's not earned and it's not learned, it's given. James 1.5, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously, right? But ask in faith nothing wavering because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. It's not, hey God, what would you like me to do here? And then if you don't like what God says, you do what you want. That's double-minded. It's God, I want your wisdom to do what you are telling me with this raw material that I have, period, because you're the boss. That's wisdom. And then instruction is listening to wise people. Just, hey, you're a wise person. I love how you've lived your life. It's cool what you've done. Help me. Let, let me tag along. Let me work with you for a bit. I want to learn that. And this is a theme in the book of Proverbs. That the fool refuses to listen. 
They're the guy, they're the gal, they're the person saying, I got this, I already know that, right? I got this, that means I'm headed to the ER room and I'm gonna be on reality TV because of what I just did. No, the proverb saturated person is always looking for people who do things better than them so that they can learn from them. Hey, let me learn from that. You got something there, okay? So like, like verse 22, it says this, fools hate knowledge. When someone says, man, I hate reading books, I almost always go to Proverbs 122. Okay, man. Not that there's not other ways to learn today, praise God. There is, but man, fundamental is reading, just reading. Something happens actually in your brain when you see the letters, all those things. You don't have somebody captivating your visualness with a video. You're actually having to do the video yourself which is a process that's really good for your brain and for you to be creative. So here's how it begins. Knowledge, wisdom, instruction. Then, really key verse, I think for the whole Bible. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The Hebrew for riddle right there is hiddo. In the King James Version, if you have that, it says dark sayings. Proverbs, I'll say wider than that, scripture has hiddotes in it. Enigmas, perplexing passages, dark sayings that they don't give up their reading or their understanding, or their meaning without meditation and time and repetition. It's just that simple. And we want, we want life, we want the Bible to be easy, like just A equals B, it's fair, it's black and white. We wanna formulize God, like everybody loves three steps. Three steps to this, three steps to that. Well, guess what? That's not the Bible. That's not the Bible. So wisdom literature, Proverbs is the center But wisdom literature is balanced by the book of Job, a man who did nothing wrong and lost everything. The most righteous man on earth. He is Proverbs and he gets whacked for Proverbs, okay? And then the other side is Ecclesiastes, a man who has everything you could ever want and hates his life. So wisdom literature, yeah, Proverbs is the center, but it's always balanced with Job and Ecclesiastes, because there's exceptions. Proverbs is principles, never promises. People that wanna make Proverbs into promises get disappointed because life whacks them. They end up with Job stuff or Ecclesiastes stuff. So Proverbs is the center. It's the way life should work, but it doesn't always work this way. There's always exceptions, okay? So it should be like, if you do the things of Proverbs, things will work out right, but sometimes it's book of Job. And we have to let the Bible be complex. We have to let it be complex because whenever you try to flatten out the Bible, the Bible becomes this. It becomes a moral handbook on how to act better. And people that do that to the Bible, what I always say to them is this, look at the heroes of the Bible. Do I wanna learn from them? Do I wanna be like them? Abraham repeatedly lies about his wife and lets her get stuck in some king's harem. It's his practice. He does it over and over. I don't want to do that. David commits adultery 
and kills somebody and practices polygamy. I don't want to do that. Jacob is a serial liar, right? Peter is a denier. I go on and on and on. No, the Bible is not a moral handbook. It's very thick. It's very enigmatic. It's got hedotes in it, and we have to let it be that way, or else, or else, you'll get the point where you shake your fist at God and say, why is this happening? I did everything right. Huh? Because you didn't let the Bible be what it is. It's full of hedote. It's a job. It's a work that you will spend your life on, unpacking the dark sayings, the riddles of scripture. And each one you get, oh, it's like the most refreshing, brilliant moment in your life. So it's worth it. But there's dark sayings. And all this begins, you will never even begin to unpack the dark riddles of scripture if you don't get verse seven. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. It all begins, knowledge is the raw material from which wisdom and instruction work off of. And you won't get right knowledge unless you get this one thing down, the fear of Yahweh. So if we're gonna get the good life in the midst of the perplexions and the unfairness and the strangeness of life, you have to understand what the fear of the Lord is. And it's a theme in Proverbs. So I'll make two points on it. Here's what it is. Number one, the fear of Yahweh is this, understanding God's place in the universe. That this is his world. This is his creation. It's his. And so that means he's God and I'm not. The big difference between man and God is this. God never thinks he's a man, but there's plenty of people who think they're God and they make their own little rules and their own little empire. The fear of the Lord is saying, nope, you alone are God, period. Number one. Number two, you keep reading Proverbs and you get to chapter eight and it says this, the fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. Number two, big point is this. God gets to set the boundaries. You and I don't get to decide what's right and wrong. We don't get to be the moral writer of the laws of the universe. Just like God has made gravity as a law, God has made these other things as laws. This is right and this is wrong. And we as humans have to say, okay, God, since you made this place, since it's yours, I'm trusting you. That's bad and this is good, that there are boundaries And if I want to live in the good life, I need to live inside of those boundaries God has written. And that leads to a flourishing, brilliant life. That the stove is hot, so don't touch it. Keep your hand away from it. But Matt, she's hot, right? Proverbs would say, be careful, don't touch it, right? So it's those two things. You get those down, and then you're able to move into knowledge, and knowledge can grow into wisdom, and wisdom can grow into instruction. Okay, so check this out. That's just, just like the, the abstract of the book. Look what the first thing Solomon wants to talk about. Verse eight, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. 
If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw your lot in among us. We'll all have one purse. Now we're gonna share everything fairly. Yeah, right. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is the, spread, is the net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. The very first thing Solomon, when he writes out the Proverbs, the first thing he wants to address is he wants to talk to his son about his friendships. He wants to talk about his son about, look out, look out for these kind of people. Two thoughts on this. Number one, we pine for the good old days. So we think, oh, if we could have just gone back to this time in history, life was so awesome, it was perfect. Ecclesiastes 7.10 would just say, that's a stupid way of thinking. That's a ridiculous way of thinking. And very often we pine for this day, like when the average lifespan was 42, most people lived with intestinal parasites. They died from like polio or scurvy or leprosy. Like it was a brutal, brutal time. It's silly. And it's like we think we have more evil today than they did then. Look at verse 11. Hey, let's lay an ambush for the innocent without reason. Hey, let's stand here, wait for an old lady to go by and mug her for her purse. And then let's throw her into the pit, right? This is a brutal, evil time. Listen to me. The world has always been evil since Adam. In fact, it got so evil in Genesis, God had to start over, had to wipe the slate clean and start over with Noah, okay? The world's not any more evil or worse today than it's ever been. It just is. And I think for some of us, we need to stop looking and pining for some different time and steward well the day that God has put us in. This is the day. This is the generation. This is the time that I can matter, that I can make a difference. And so I'm going to do that. And number two, what Solomon says here is this. Your friends are the GPS to your future. That if you wanna know what you're going to be, just look at your friends. He uses terms like paths and their way, and that's what's gonna happen. You're going to be going the same direction as your friends do. I wonder how much hardship has come into a person's life because of the friends they chose. I wonder how many people are sitting in a prison cell right now because of the friendships that they chose. I wonder how many people are addicted to drugs or alcohol because of the friends that they chose. Be careful. Be careful. If you want the good life, oh, friendships are huge there. 
I was talking with this person quite a number of years ago, but it just struck me because they're really afraid of um, getting in a fight. And I said, dude, I am never worried about that. I don't want to pack a gun. I, I don't care. I'm never worried about getting in a fight. And I said, probably because it's who I'm hanging out with. And I just, Mark Scudstad was in like the office that day. I said, do you think when I'm hanging out with Mark Scudstad, I'm gonna get in a fight, right? No. I said, be careful who you're choosing to hang out with, okay? That's, this book is full of it. It says over and over and over, look out for the fool. Don't hang out with the fool. I will say this, every crew needs one fool. You need like four or five good dudes and then the one fool is your mission field, but you gotta have one fool. Who else is gonna try the, the hard, like dangerous stuff? You gotta go with the fool. Like, is this too much wasabi? Get the fool, try this. So there has to be one fool, but just one. Be careful, be careful, be careful who you hang out with. Get some godly friends that are older, that you admire. That's what the Proverbs are saying. They're so smart, they're so wise. All right, so after that, after look out for your friendships, check this out. This is one of my favorite little texts in the whole book of Proverbs. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight and their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. This little text changed my life. It happened, boy, 20 years ago. I was in business, flying home from New Jersey. And the flight went through Phoenix, Arizona, from Phoenix, Arizona, up to Portland, and then back to Medford. It's the joy of flying out of Medford. Jersey, Phoenix, Phoenix, Portland, Portland, Medford. So I got on the plane from Phoenix to Portland, and it was a two and a half hour flight, and I sat down, and the next day, this was a Monday, Tuesday morning, I had a Bible study, and we happened to be teaching Proverbs 1. And so I opened up my Bible, I got out my notebook, and I started to study through Proverbs chapter one for the next day's study. And I'm sitting there and, and you know, you're kind of looking up and looking around and down the aisle comes these two guys and they're super loud. And they had on like sombreros and t-shirts and shorts, board shorts. And they're just loud, boisterous and you heard pretty quickly that they just left a vacation in Mazatlan and they were headed to Portland too. And they sat directly behind me. And the moment they sat behind me, I started getting a contact high because they were still drunk. Like they smelled like a distillery. And they're back there just being loud. And I'm studying the book of Proverbs and I'm just thinking, you fools, man, you guys are fools, right? And so down the aisle comes this button down business suit dude. He's got the briefcase, he's in a three-piece, his hair's all perfect. He comes, he's looking at his seat, and his seat was right in between the two partiers from Mazatlan behind me. And the dude on the aisle just looked at him and said, bro, 
you are going to hate this flight, man. You're going to hate this. And you can see the guy going, yes, I am. So he manages to sit down back there, and I'm still just reading Proverbs like the fools. So we take off, and this is before like private screens. So you got one screen, and you had to buy the headphones back then. And these dudes had spent all their money on beer, no money for headphones. So one of the dudes is just ad-libbing a Seinfeld show. And I'll have to be really honest, I was cracking up. He was funnier than the show. So I'm just trying to hold back my laughter because the guy's actually really, really funny. And then about an hour in, they bust out the Bacardi rum and they just start downing it. And they get the dude in between them to start downing it too. And remember one time I got up, I looked back there. He's now in a sombrero and board shorts. Like they have transformed him. He's just partying away now, right? So I'm like, wow, okay. I'm still studying the book of Proverbs. Like, okay, okay. And then there's the flight when you land and there's that moment, if you've flown much, there's that moment when the seatbelt sign goes off and everybody stands up, but you can't actually move, right? Because you're still stuck. And you can't really stand up because the luggage is like this. So you're standing up kind of at an angle like that. So everybody gets up and then it just gets dead quiet for some reason because you're all just waiting. And this one guy in the aisle, Mazatlan Partier, he looks around in that moment and he goes, is anybody happy on this plane? Did anybody have a good time? Because we did. And he just starts high-fiving the business dude and they just start cracking up. And in that moment, I was struck. Yeah. Did I have a good time? Here, these two dudes, they had exchanged phone numbers with the business dude. They were gonna hook, they're gonna find each other and, and go party somewhere in, in Portland with each other. They were best friends. I'd said like five words to the person sitting next to me because I was too busy studying the Bible. Like, I learned wisdom from a drunk partier in Mazatlan. Because I was under this crazy thing 20 years ago that the only place to find wisdom was like in school, in the Bible, in church, in the sanctuary. But where does wisdom say she's actually at? Look, verse 20, she cries aloud in the street. Hmm. In the marketplaces, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Where's wisdom actually at? Yeah, it's in church. You can totally find it there. Yes, in the Bible, totally. But you know where else? In life. So I have this saying, and I didn't come up with it, but I love it. This is my saying, and I got it from that event. It's this. The world is a university, and everybody in it, a teacher, even a drunk from Mazatlan, make sure when you wake up, you go to school. That's what Proverbs is saying, that there's a way to go about life with the right kind of attitude, with humility, with eyes open, where every day, every hour, your wisdom account is increasing. So now, man, when I leave the house and go to busy streets, I'm praying, God, give me wisdom. God, teach me today. And if you've noticed, if you've been at Edgewater for any time, what are the majority of my illustrations from? Life. I want a PhD. When I die, I want a PhD from life. Just learning in the streets, in my job, 
doing this thing, doing that thing. On Edge Radio, Edge Live, um, like we were talking about it before, and I said, you know what, I do some things, even though I know this will never benefit like me financially or something, but I do it just for the joy of learning and the wisdom that I might get from it. Because that's life to me. That's the way we're supposed to look at life right here. God, speak to me in my job. As I'm raising my kids today, may I learn wisdom. As I'm driving today, may I learn wisdom. As I'm digging this hole, may I live, learn wisdom. As I'm gardening today, may I learn wisdom. Because wisdom is everywhere if we tune our ears in to hear her. Brilliant, isn't that? So, verse 24, because I have called, and here's the warning. If you don't do that, you're outside of that center then. Because I have called and you refuse to listen. And I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of Yahweh and would have none of my counsel and despised my reproof. There's two ways you can do wisdom. You can listen to wisdom or wisdom will laugh at you. You're gonna listen to wisdom? Okay, God, teach me. Or she'll laugh at you. There is a time, there is a time when it's too late. When wisdom laughs and says, what were you thinking? You ever heard that? That's wisdom. What were you thinking? And I've sat so many times and I've listened to people crying and sobbing because wisdom's laughing at them. It's too late now. Matt, what do I do about my marriage? She left me. I got papers today. It's too late. Matt, what do I do about my son or my daughter? It's too late. You had 18 years. Now it's too late. And it breaks my heart. But it's wisdom laughing. You had your chance. You had your shot. The ship now has sailed on that. You're gonna listen to wisdom or wisdom will laugh at you. We're in the book of Proverbs because I want us to listen to wisdom. I want us to get to that center as close as we can to that center. Let's be in that center where we're supposed to be. So he ends this chapter by saying, therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whosoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Proverbs is the center of wisdom. It's the norm of how life is supposed to work, right? If you're friendly, you're going to have friends. If you plant in the spring and you work and you weed, you should have a harvest. It's the center. Yes, there are exceptions to that, no doubt. Job and Ecclesiastes. But for the most part, Proverbs is how things work out. Your sins will find you out, right? 
And so what Proverbs screams at you and me is this. Plant good seed. Plant wise, good seed. Don't make life more difficult than it has to be. There's gonna be trouble. There's gonna be problems. Ecclesiastes, Job, no doubt. But don't add on, don't add fuel to the fire. Make good decisions. So I wanna ask you this question. Are you making good decisions right now? Are you sowing good seed? Because you got a chance right now. What are you putting? What's the base? What's the raw material right now? What knowledge are you putting in your head? Is it trash? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Is it trash? Or is it Philippians 4 verse 8? To Jesselsep, true, just, praiseworthy, noble. What is it? That's where it all begins, knowledge, right? How about your friends? Are your friends taking you down to the pit? Or are you and your friends sharpening each other, as Proverbs says, and making you better, wiser, flourishing? Are you worried about when you go out your friend, with your friends, are you worried about getting in a fight? That to me would say, mm, probably got the wrong friends. And here's the thing. You are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. So if you wanna know what you're going to be, just look at your friends. You're the average of them. Are they a 4.0 or are they an 0.0? What are they? Your marriage. The Bible calls marriage a garden. Song of Solomon, chapter five, verse two. How's the garden? Is it a dry desert? Is it blackberries and weeds? Because great marriages, like a great garden, require work. How's your marriage? Is it wise? How, how, how's your parenting? Is it Ephesians 6, 4? Are you not provoking your kids to wrath? Are you grace and truth, that great balance? Because 3 John 4 would say there's no greater joy than to know your kids are walking in the truth. At school, what would people say about you? Would they say he's a fool? She's a fool? Or would they say, no, they get knowledge and they're wise and they listened? What are you? Do you fear the Lord? Do you realize your place in the universe and the boundaries that God has put around stuff, right? It's called sin. And sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. It's God saying, that will hurt you. You won't flourish. Your life won't be the brilliant life that I want for you. Stay away from it. Do you fear God that way? Is there something you need to change? Are you saying, you know what? I am a fool right here, fill in the blank. Well, you can do that today. It's called confession. God, I've been a fool here. And I wanna learn today. And I wanna change what I'm doing. And so we have the chance to come to the table. And for me, there's no better opportunity to say, I wanna change. I wanna stop this stuff. I wanna be the dad I'm supposed to be, the husband I'm supposed to be, the ambassador of your kingdom I'm supposed to be, the community guy I'm supposed to be. I wanna be those things. I wanna use my, my money correctly. I wanna have the right kind of friends around me. This is it. You confess and he changes you.
And Colossians 2 verse 3 says something that I find fascinating. It says that Jesus, all knowledge and all wisdom are inside of Jesus. You come to the table and you say, Jesus, as I partake of you, root out from me the fool and fill me with your wisdom. So Jesus, today, as we come to the table, as we head into this series on all these really important things, how to be wise in our marriages as parents, at work, with our money, with planning, how to heed the warnings. First and foremost, we come to you. You're the potter. And where our hearts have grown dark and have desired evil, we pray that your light would shine in today that we'd be wise. We pray that during this strange time, we would stand out. The way that we live, how we use our time, what we choose to put into our minds, that we would stand out. That we would be a unique, holy people. So change us today, we ask. May we be wise people. We ask this in your name, amen.